episode 165 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again by Brad, Paul, and Ryan, uh, getting together here towards the end of November. A month kind of flew by. I don't know. There's nothing really to talk about baseball-wise, but I don't know about you guys, but it feels like I can't believe we're almost at Thanksgiving already. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird and time doesn't matter, as we often say. That's true. So there's yeah. that. And baseball is in a lull, but all the other sports in Wisconsin have been keeping us busy just through just uh, disgusting displays of incompetence across the board. So there's, there's <laughs> yeah, that. Let's not, let's not dwell on that Badger game. I just I, I'm not even outright. talking about yeah, that. Yeah, he was talking about the Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the, the Badgers put on a virtuoso performance compared to what the Bucks did this weekend. Uh, Everybody in the Bucks front office should be fired just to start off the podcast with, with basketball talk. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't think that if John Hollinger's account is in the athletic is to be believed, and I have no reason to doubt him because he is a very smart and insidery person, and Eric Name retweeted it. Um, I've never seen a, a, a larger display of incompetence from a front office in any sport in the history of sports. That goes down to independent league baseball, um, <laughs> the worst hockey team in the world, um, some random, you know, seventh division English soccer team. Uh, it is incredible how badly they screwed up the team. I think they'll probably lose Giannis for it. And it's entirely their fault. And they could have prevented it with just a minor increase in front office competence. So really bad. There were some things I'm trying to think Boris was able to get some free agency for a couple of draft picks and was able to to get them to become free agents back in like the late 90s because front offices didn't do some minor thing that they were supposed to do like tendering contracts wise like it was something that's in the cba and it the, just the some, did a deep dive on and snookered them on and yeah okay. and was able to get guys basically to become free agents even though they were amateurs at that point and then they closed that loophole and it never happened again so even in that example that's boris doing his due diligence before and figuring something out that apparently a lot of teams didn't this was screwing up something that everybody else in the league gets Should right know. routinely yeah. so oh yeah um that's the a Bucks different really animal. Need- yeah, they just really need John Hollinger to come on just to handle cap smartness stuff, right? Because it sounds <laughs> well, like like how you can sign a player or not sign a player. And when you sign something that you're like, this looks smart on paper, but they're ineligible to sign that type of contract. That, yes, yeah. you can't be doing that. Yeah, no, uh, um, yeah th- th- this is too deep dive for this podcast, and I'm not an NBA <laughs> person. But essentially, there's lots. There's lot. Go read it. But um, And the big one, you know, they lost bogdan because of tampering and you can't screw that up but they ended up having to give pat Connaughton extra money and an extra year because they gave him a contract that didn't uh, i'm going to screw this up but it dipped into their mid-level exception and it shouldn't have done that they had to fix that to get other people on the team and just a huge debacle that um that everybody who writes about the bucks understood this and did their research and um could explain it cogently and would not have screwed it up so just an incredible it, totally incredible. I hate that I have to follow that stupid team. Uh, every time I try and get interested, they do something like this. So, damn bucks. Now, he did say that it was the owner's fault. So he said it was the owner's fault, but the reason he said it's the owner's fault is for hiring an incompetent general manager. Um, and <laughs> I, I don't follow the Bucks, like I said, that closely, yeah. but I know that they had, when they hired their current GM, they had the choice between a guy that everybody respected and thought was smart and the guy they hired. And the guy they hired saved him like a couple hundred thousand bucks. And the guy that was smart left. And so that's what happened. <laughs> All right. 
Yep. All right. Well, thanks for tuning into Bucks Talk. Uh, yes, we'll we're done now. Sorry, it, it, I was uh, mad all no. last night, and I slept bad because of the Bucks, which is stupid. Because I don't even care about the Bucks. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> what I've determined is I am. A, I, I, this is bad of me, but I, I fit this role on this podcast and others. I am apparently just a front office fan. Like I, I do follow <laughs> front office things, and when I see bad front office work, it does bother me. Which I don't like. I don't like admitting that about myself because I want to be about players and seeing exciting stuff on the field. But this does bother me. <laughs> All right. Well, we do have some uh, Brewers front office news to talk about. But uh, first, uh, let's get the ad reads out of the way. We are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know that a flagship fantasy factory IPA, but their entire lineup is great, whether it's Block Party, Dragon Flute, Outer Space. You can check them all out on their brewery on the east side of Madison on Kinsman Boulevard. You also get some cool merch online at Carbon4.com. You can use our promo code MKE Tailgate to get 20% off your order when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for just $5 a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. And I believe you guys have a new episode coming out in the coming days, Ryan. We do. It's already uh, recorded. We had Will Salmon from the athletic join us. And we spent a lot of time talking about sort of what's happened so far. His first days, because he was basically getting his uh, feet wet on the job when the shutdown happened and everything so he's had an interesting year and then we went and talked about the uh his article about the fall league which he did some great reporting on what had happened so far with the uh the brewers instructional league so yeah check that out in the coming days and we will uh be putting an excerpt of that on the end of this podcast so you can get a little taste of it and then for patreon sponsors at the ball and glove and above level you'll be able to listen to the entire episode Probably Monday, I think. Monday is when I'll put it up. Cool. Yeah, it's, All right. But it's really good stuff uh, where I think it's really stuff to get you excited about uh, some of the Brewers' prospects based on reports coming out of that fall league. Yeah, we haven't had a ton of uh, info coming out from at least about the guys who weren't in uh, Appleton. So Yeah, that's why we've sort of been behind a little bit on this because there just hasn't been a lot of information coming out so there isn't much to talk about but we've got some things lined up in the coming days to uh because this is actually the october minor league extra so we'll have a november we'll have a december we'll we'll get all that out to you but it's just been a little bit slow recently yeah absolutely uh so stick around to the end of the podcast to hear a clip from that will salmon interview uh, when you sign up to be a, a five dollar patron, you also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods, a pre- preview of the Packers game every single week, and a reminder: Paul is giving away a trio of bobbleheads for our patrons too. So sign up at that five dollar level or higher. You'll be entered to randomly win a bobblehead of Christian Yelich, Aaron Rodgers, or Giannis, uh, still wearing a Bucks jersey as long as he still is. I guess. <laughs> Got to get this done soon. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> reminder: you still have time to sign up to be a patron and. You, you get all those podcasts and you might get a bobblehead. So kind of a good deal. In the meantime, the Brewers have a new general manager. It's only been about a year since uh, the Brewers promoted David Stearns to president of baseball operations to go along with his GM title. Uh, but he's now kind of ceding that position to his longtime assistant, uh, Matt Arnold. We, we talked about it a couple of times. Matt Arnold's kind of consistently drawn interest for GM jobs across the league. The last couple of off seasons, uh, I think he might've interviewed with the Giants and at least the Angels uh, this past offseason. Uh, you know, not a lot of uh, not a lot figures to kind of change here, uh, basically, because they've kind of been working hand in hand for years now. 
the most comparable situation would kind of be what they had in Chicago where, you know, Theo was the, the head of everything, but uh, Jed Hoyer was his longtime GM. Uh, so kind of a similar structure we're seeing kind of pop up around the league here. I guess we'll just start. Ryan, do you think it was a good move to keep Matt Arnold around? And what has he kind of done to kind of earn this? Oh, absolutely. This is this is really important. And my understanding is that he handles a lot of the baseball operations responsibilities anyway. David Stearns in his release when he talked about this was saying that this is basically just formalizing what has been our, our mode of operation for the last few years anyway. I think right. that Arnold has been more of towards the forefront of doing baseball ops type things. And Stearns has been more big picture o- overarching uh, on things for the last couple seasons anyway. So basically, I don't expect anything about this to change. It doesn't really move the needle at all as far as how they're going to operate. I think that I, I saw some people concerned about that. No, this is this is just you could call it title inflation. But basically what it is, is it it makes it so that guys can only get poached if they are getting a job above what their current job is. So David Stearns is president of baseball operations. Well, there's nowhere really to go from that unless you're like offering ownership stake. So the Brewers don't have to acquiesce when the Giants came calling or when the Mets came calling or I think the Phillies maybe asked. The Brewers didn't have to, to grant an interview. And now with Arnold in that situation, the only way Arnold can get interviewed is if somebody's coming after him for a president of baseball ops job because he's already the general manager here. So it, it's a way of protecting guys. It also comes with, I'm sure, a hefty pay increase. And that is an investment that Mark Atanasio has to make. But it makes perfect sense. You have such a high-functioning front office that has done so many good things. And yes, you can quibble about last offseason not going great. But we also have to acknowledge that we didn't even get a full season to see how that all would have actually played out. It It didn't... The what they planned for didn't actually happen. The 2020 season that they planned for never came to fruition. Something else did. And it it didn't work out great, but it also wasn't a complete and utter disaster. They had plenty go successful and they were able to sneak into the playoffs. So you don't have to you completely throw out what they did in the in that last offseason. And everything before that looks really quite good. So yeah, I mean, far be it from this being. Well, you, sh- you shouldn't worry about changing, the, like things going different based on this. You sh- this is how you keep things the same. This is you have personnel you like. Um, you reward them for doing a good job. If you keep them in the organization, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, the, the only difference between this and the Theo Jed situation, I think, is just Theo has gotten so long in the tooth. I mean, Theo's in Moneyball. <laughs> Moneyball's a long time ago. Uh, you you want to make a change on these kinds of things when people start to get, you know, a little past their prime and new things come along, but we're not at that point with Stearns and Arnold at all. And, uh, you know, they've, they've done objectively a good job for the past several seasons. So this is how you keep a good organization flowing. It's how you keep it from being dysfunctional. Um, good continuity. The plan will stay more or less the same. And, uh, you know, everybody, I think, has earned the title upgrade and the money anyway. So this is, this is how you keep a good, solid, functioning front office moving along, contrary to the, the Bucks. <laughs> and I think what we're looking at is a situation where Matt Arnold has come dangerously close to leaving the organization through other GM opportunities in the last few years. Yeah, he didn't make it as far in the Angels or Giants interviews this season. 
But in the past, he's been one of the top three candidates for some of these GM hirings. I believe he was top three for the Pirates. And mm-hmm. a lot of the openings in the last two off seasons have come down to focusing on Matt Arnold. You value him in that role. So you offer him senior, senior vice president and general manager. And now basically the only way a team can move him from you out in his current contract is by offering him president of baseball operations, which is a large commitment for someone who's never done it on their own and nothing an organization is going to make. So it's just 100% protecting the assets you have. Now I think the biggest threat to leave from the Brewers is Ray Montgomery, but I think the Brewers would be comfortable with that with the structure that they built off of Ray Montgomery and they have the supporting cast that they like. So it's just an opportunity for them to, like Ryan and Paul have already said, protect an asset that they already like in the organization to ensure that they can continue operating at the capacity that they've liked so far. And Ray Montgomery is more of a traditional uh, career path, which has mm-hmm. become the non-traditional thing the way things are done now where Montgomery came up through baseball operations through scouting that's his background yep. and guys like that don't tend to get GM jobs at this point it's fairly rare that they do actually so yeah we'll we'll see but Montgomery could be headed elsewhere though he seems to be you know well respected and he's even been running the Brewers draft now for what three years Todd Johnson's been yeah. running it now for a while yes, so yes. like Montgomery's in a senior position with the Brewers I believe he's one of several assistant GMs. Mm-hmm. There's just like your your assistant GM, the head of it was Matt Arnold, and then you had two or three in the organization that they wanted to keep around who they made assistant GM in charge of this. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it feels sort of like, you know, a few years ago when the Packers were looking for a new GM and they had all these AGMs, right? And they eventually gave it to one and then a couple others moved on, right, Paul? <laughs> yes, uh, I would say very similar to that. Uh, yeah. Goody. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we'll see what happens with Montgomery. But, you know, I think I've seen, you know, Matt Arnold's kind of been involved in boosting some of the, the international signings and stuff too. So it's good to kind of keep that continuity around, like Paul was saying. And I think for, Maybe the flack that the the Brewers get for not spending on free agency, at least in the last year or so, it at least shows that Mark Anadasio is willing to pay to kind of keep his decision makers around, right? Like, so it's kind of an endorsement, I guess. Paul, you're the front office guy. Like, it's an endorsement <laughs> of what they're doing, right? And he's at least paying to keep those guys around, right? It absolutely. Um, it complete endorsement. Um, and it's it, these guys have earned to keep not just through success on the field, but you know, people come calling to the Brewers organization pretty frequently when they're looking for replacements. And you know, that's probably the best. It's always the best metric of your own success is when people try and poach you above all else. <laughs> so, I mean, you can brag to the moon about whatever you've done internally, but unless somebody else wants you, it's hard to have objective proof of it. So, um, yeah, it's it really is just you know, a reflection of that. There's demand for Brewer people and the way that they actually operate um, internally. Yeah. Uh, so we have our first Patreon question kind of on this topic, and I think we kind of addressed it already, but we'll ask the question because, you know, Jay paid for the right to get this question <laughs> asked. Uh, so it comes from uh, Jay Google. Because we're uh, obligated to financially. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to say that, but, you know. Well, uh, it's also so, so it, we can say suck it, Steve. Yeah, we'll get that into. So Jay's first question is, with the new title for Matt Arnold, do the chances of Stearns moving on to a different team increase? We kind of talked about, you know, the Mets asked to interview David Stearns for their opening and just got a flat rejection. So 
basically no, right? Like it's just a way to kind of make sure everybody sticks around. Yeah, I, I think we pretty much already covered it. And yeah, it, yeah, I don't think this increases the chances that Stearns goes anywhere. I'm not saying he can't and that he won't. There's a, a possibility he decides to to go elsewhere, but it's not going to be anytime in the immediate future. He's here for uh, at least a, a, a solid while longer. Right. right. The I only think, way he leaves yeah. is if like his contract expires and he goes somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, otherwise, or he quits like have... Theo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He right. Quit like Theo. He can make a, He could make a big stink about it. And you know, a, there's a lot of guys out there who have teams that they would sacrifice a lot for. But I mean, my understanding with Stearns is like one of those speculated has always been the Mets, and that ship has just sailed right now. So I mean, right. unless probably what the Yankees come calling, that's probably it. Right. I mean, who else is so, going to be a bigger draw for him? To be fair, though. The Mets seem to have that opening every two years. That's a good point. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully Cohen is more competent than the Wilpons were, and that doesn't continue to be the case. He's made it clear, though. Like he, he I mean, uh, when the, they're talking about the GM opening for the Mets, he's flat out said, "I'm not paying somebody to learn on the job," and he wants a World Series in three to five years. So I don't. Th- there's a twinge of Steinbrenner there for him, I think. Yeah, I totally. But they also have a pretty decent base to work from. They have a yeah, lot of talent do. on that team. And now that they're willing to spend and if they get somebody who's not going to do things like trade Jared Kelnick for Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, which, yeah. by the way, we, I, we could probably Oof. mention that, that yeah, Robinson Cano is out for the year because of a another PED suspension, which if you weren't aware... He he got popped for the steroid that banned Stenozolol. Yes, yeah, Stenozolol or whatever it is. It, it yeah. used to be Wistrol, right? But it's yeah. the thing that uh, Ben Johnson got nailed for in the 1988 Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> that is a vintage old school suspension. Yeah, I yeah. mean, this is stuff that they've had a test for that you can spot this stuff since the 80s. Yeah. So I mean, not he's not got great. the money to get the designer steroids that are undetectable still popping the Pittsburgh Steelers 1970s steroids so oof. I think we can kind of say his his Hall of Fame chances are are nailed now dead so. yeah I think they were dead pretty much before getting nailed once in the era yeah. of testing pretty much does you in but yeah this is yeah this completely eradicates any possibility he gets in right all right uh kind of moving on uh the Brewers also had uh some front office moves they had to make in the last week we kind of talked about this last week uh, who we would protect uh, prospect-wise from the Rule 5 draft. So they ended up protecting three guys, all three of which we kind of mentioned in detail last week. Mario Feliciano, obviously, as expected, was protected, but they also added Alec Bet- Bettinger and Dylan File, two pitchers, to the 40-man roster. Uh, so, you know, at, at least Brad, I think, man- mentioned all three. He was kind of crowing about uh, predicting all of those correctly. I was somewhat wrong. I said they'd do one of the two pitchers. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So technically, I didn't get it nail on the head, but I did mention all three. We, we did mention all three. Yeah. So uh, with those three added, there are a couple others that we talked about that didn't get added. Uh, you know, Peyton Henry was one, another catcher. He was mentioned. Zach Brown, a couple of years removed from being the Brewers minor league pitcher of the year, also unprotected for a second year in a row. So I guess Brad... Are, are they at risk of losing like those guys or anybody else? Or do you think they kind of protected anybody who might be on other teams' radars? I think they protected anyone who really is a risk to be a long-term addition to another team. Peyton Henry, although he is the second best 
most developed of the good catching prospects in the system is still pretty raw. And even for a team having that extra spot to hide catchers in, I think is not someone who people really want to stuff into that position right now. Then right. there's Zach Brown, who we all talk about, but they didn't protect him last time and he didn't go through because of his poor performance at AAA. You saw what made him the pitcher of the year in 2018 completely disappear in 2019 as he lost all control. And because the Brewers didn't really share any of their statistics or analytics out of their camp, we don't really know if that got better or not for Zach Brown, but we know he's an incredible risk. He could probably go just as teams look to have cheap pitching because mm -hmm. we know pitching is always something teams need in abundance and they're going to want it to be cheap this year. So maybe he's the most risky. Pablo Abreu is another top 30 prospect who really is so far away. No team's going to do it. Lucas Didn't Erson, he just have surgery too, Pablo? Uh, yes. I feel like he, yeah. So he's coming off surgery. He, he's, but, so he's not going to play anyway. So nobody's going to take He's him, expected but. to play in spring of oh, okay. 2021. So, okay. And then there's uh, Lucas Ersig, who, you know, shows good defense, but has really struggled at the higher levels at the plate. And even in his independent league appearance, really didn't perform well. I think he had a 202 slugging percentage in his <laughs> indie league. Yeah. Other than that, uh, Miguel Sanchez is a guy off the top 30 who has shown pretty good relief stuff, but he didn't do as well in 2019. Uh, however, I think he's someone who you could make a case that's an anomaly more than anything else, and he could pitch well in there. Thomas Jenkins is another pitcher who, you know, is deep in the organization, but has shown some promise in the relief role. Luke Barker, not protected uh, indie ball guy who's had some good statistics in his brief outings in the minors since coming out of indie ball. Those are the guys I really think you're you're looking at here. The others, I think, are so such anomalies that people aren't aware of or haven't necessarily done the homework on. Like, Bowden Francis is a guy I really like because he showed pretty good growth every year. But I don't really think that's a guy who's on a lot of teams' radars. He's older. You know, he's, he's shown a good strikeout-to-walk ratio in his time, but he still has, has some issues to work out, and I'm not sure teams are going to have the patience with a guy like that who needs to work those out. Uh, Quentin Torres Costa was a guy who was really exciting as a relief prospect, but since going Tommy John, we, you know, he's only had some time to really work out from that. I don't really think they're at the risk of losing anyone. Zach Brown, maybe the most, but even he's already shown that it's already seen that like he hasn't been touched by other teams. So I don't think right. that's a significant concern for the Brewers. Yeah, this is going to be a weird year for the Rule 5, I think, right? Because we're coming off a year where nobody played minor league baseball. The most you get is if teams shared their alternate site data, which we know the Brewers didn't. And we know, like in Zach Brown's case, they had opportunities to add him to the roster throughout the year. And they I don't believe they did, unless I'm forgetting a couple, like a paper move where he just didn't pitch or something like that. So right. They added I mean, Trace Shupak, who they just let go. Right, they, they yeah. let him walk on a minor league deal. Yeah, so uh, maybe that shows you where they value Zach Brown and <laughs> what they think of him going forward. <laughs> I guess, but uh, I, it's just really weird. I know we talked last week about the Rule Five, where you know some of these pitchers maybe get picked up just because everybody's looking for you know those cheap middle relief arms, and they don't really need to think twice about 
you know, trying to sign a, a veteran for a few million dollars in a year where we're kind of all anticipating things are slowing down on the free agent market. So we mentioned that uh, Bettinger and Dylan File were added to the 40-man roster to to protect them. And that kind of leads us to our next Patreon question from Aslatam. He says, okay, I'll bite. What can you tell us about Alec Bettinger and Dylan File, Ryan? So Bettinger is a, a velocity spike guy who saw a pretty big jump in 2019 and looks like he could potentially be a back end of the rotation guy, though apparently people think that it's more likely he ends up in sort of a multi-inning relief role. So if you look at that, knowing that the Brewers really highly value that and have had a lot of success with those sorts of guys, you could see what their interest was there in keeping him. So that that would be one thing. Dylan File is more of a command and control guy, really low, low walk rates, and gets a lot out of being able to command four pitches to all parts of the zone. And so kind of a, he's right-handed, but think of kind of right-handed Brett Suter. Like, I think that's what the hope is there, that you can get somebody who is able to get outs by, by command, basically, and still actually miss bats by doing it. Like he has an idea of where things are going and can, can miss bats, but it's not going to be overpowering stuff the way that Bettinger can throw in the mid. I, I think he's topped out at 96, 97 where files not there i think we need to make sure that when we say right-handed brent Suter, he does throw in the 90s <laughs> sure yes he, he okay. yeah. does fair enough <laughs> so i i think the odds of having another successful pitcher who throws between 84 to 88 is so low i always want to make that <laughs> kind of disclaimer <laughs> when we bring people up because we know like part of why we all love Brent Suter is the personality, but also that he is a major league anomaly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, totally right. true. File so, has the same thing. And I mean, you're looking at, I mean, in 2019 of 1.3 walk per nine with hitters who aren't necessarily patient, but that face a lot of pitchers who are wild, who do have high walk rates. I think that goes to show you quote, the ability that he has when it comes to his control. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, both of these guys, too, kind of later round selections, which kind of is a credit to the the scouting the Brewers do. Uh, Bettinger, I think, was a he was a 10th round pick out of college. Uh, Dylan File, a 21st round pick, which, you know, you might have seen Tom Hodricourt talk about, you know, him being a great story, too. So, you yeah. know, it, Brewers keep finding these arms and develop them, developing them. Right, Fred? Yeah. And Bettinger sounds like a. I mean, we got to realize that being a top 10 round pick doesn't always universally mean the same thing. When you look sure. at a signing bonus and you see Bettinger signed for $10,000, you can see, oh, he was a good, uh, cap space signing. He was not he someone was a, who expected yeah. to go in those rounds. He was a someone fourth who, year senior when he was drafted. So Right, yeah. right. So he's an opportunity for the Brewers to have a cost saving and still get some talent value. So definitely someone who overperformed his expectations regardless of where he was drafted. Really, you can put them both in kind of the same boat in terms of where they were valued, just looking at what they signed for and going later in the draft. Yeah, that's an outstanding scouting hit. If you're taking a guy in the 10th round and signing him for $10,000, the primary purpose there is to get that savings and to be able to use that money to sign guys higher up in your priority. And Mm -hmm. the fact that, that you're able to turn that guy into an actual real prospect, that shows that you have some people who really, really know their stuff. 
doing talent identification. Yeah, yeah but I absolutely. think James is nail on the head here. Like, we have to look at how successful the Brewers have been at developing pitchers and see, like, wow, they're making acorns into gold nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Every time you, you turn a $10,000 signing bonus into a 40-man player, I mean, that's that's a win regardless of whether he pitches well in the majors, right? You know, we say that all the time. Like, just getting a guy to the majors is a draft success most of the time. Yep. So, you know, especially when it's, you know, as Ryan was saying, one of those just savings picks, okay, we have to take a guy here <laughs> and he ends up being a 40 man player. I think that's, that's definitely a credit to a, the work that guys put in and be the, the scouting and the development track too. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that too, that just getting a guy on the 40 man from that position, from that expenditure is a huge, huge win. And even if he never amounts to anything, even if he never pitches in the big leagues, the fact that you got him that far shows that you you really know what you're doing. And I think the other thing is you're looking at something that Ryan always talks about when you talk about the craziness of development and how someone can suddenly show significant strides in development at random points in their career. And Bettinger with the velocity spike is perfectly that. You know, he was looking at a control specialist, the 90s guy. He pops up to the mid-90s, and suddenly he's striking out over nine per nine innings. And that that's a significant stride, and that's what adds his value. When you get a control guy who can strike out a batter per inning, that suddenly makes him a valuable asset to an organization. Even if it just is in that flex role, we've seen how the Brewers manipulate that into a very beneficial situation for them and how it opens up the door to expose pitchers that could potentially be more and potentially be significant helps the organization yeah definitely all right we have uh one more patreon question this one comes from darren jones he says eric loggenhagen of fangraphs published an article predicting which players throughout baseball were likely to get non-tendered this offseason that deadline is uh coming up in a couple of weeks here he says the Brewers list included five players total, but with a caveat, the catcher position, only one of Manny Pena or Omar Narvaez is likely to be non-tendered. So Darren's asking, do we think one of those two is likely to be non-tendered? If so, who would you choose to keep? I know we were talking a ton about this before we started recording the podcast. So I guess, Paul, what are your thoughts? So I, I'm, I, I was actually, I think, more surprised to hear this, although I guess I, I'm not surprised if anybody gets non-tendered, given how the offseason is going to go. Um, but I'll be surprised if they don't end up with both of them back um, just because they're very familiar with Pena and they have a very good understanding of what his value is going to be. He's a great defensive catcher. He's uh, not just the prototypical backup, but one of the best backup catchers you can have. He's outstanding behind the plate and he's good enough at hitting that his bat's going to make him better than most of the backups available on the market. If you have to have him step in to start, it's not ideal, but you don't lose a ton. Um, and I don't think they'll give up on Narvaez this quickly just because of his history with the bat and because of the strides he made defensively in the offseason. He had a terrible season. He looked like a mess back there. But over the course of his career, at least he's had a good on-base percentage. Um, even if the power doesn't return, he's controlled the zone much better than this. So um, just given the fact that I think that there's still something there to work with on Narvaez and that you get a decent, uh, a really good backstop with Pena that I think both will be back. Now, they have Nottingham, who they like, um, which is, you know, when you have a guy that you like behind who's cheaper, that's what often drives the decision more than the performance of the people in the starting roles. So uh, I, I get why this might happen. Um, there's there's people there to take places. 
But uh, just given those two facts, I- I'll still be a little surprised if both of those guys aren't back. Yeah, more on the Jacob Nottingham thing. I think it got lost a little bit how successful he was in the short time that he was in the big leagues this year. 54 plate appearances. Yeah, his batting average was 188, and you probably are going to expect a fairly low batting average from him. But you then pair that with a 278 on base percentage. So that's a significant walk rate. He is taking his walks. Yeah. And then the fact that he hit four home runs and a double. He slugged the crap he out slugged. of him. Oh, yeah. He really did. Yeah, so he looks like a pro wrestler, so you can sell his jersey. That helps, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he has made tremendous strides defensively. Remember when we got him from the A's? There was this whole thing about, you know, he's probably going to have to be a first baseman, but, man, can he really hit? And then he actually turned into more of a defensive specialist and has really, really improved from a defensive standpoint. If they are comfortable with Nottingham and if they want to now give him run and let him really be in the big leagues at this point, then I could totally see them deciding not to keep probably Manny Pena just because I think that Narvaez's offensive upside is higher than Pena's. And mm-hmm. I I love Manny Pena. I love everything about him. He really is a, a very solid, a well above average backup catcher, but that is kind of what he is. And he's also 33 and right. He's older. Nottingham is 25. And if you want to try to see if Jacob Nottingham maybe has it in him to be a starter, to to do all the things that you want your starting catcher to do, I think it's kind of time to, to give that something of a shot. So the, the beginning point of that is to at least make him the backup, right? And not have him be your third catcher who spends most of his time in the minor leagues. So if it's time for Jacob Nottingham, if they're really comfortable with him, then it probably is time to move on from Manny Pena as much as, you know, that sucks. Uh, I'm on the fence here because Manny Pena is, although his offensive numbers are not Yasmani Grandal, he is an at least average to above average major league catcher. I think we always as fans underestimate how bad other catchers are throughout the league. And right. how it how difficult it is to get more than adequate defense out of that position. And Manny Pena has shown the ability to, aside from one pretty bad season with the organization, he's been a pretty good hitter and great defender, which is something that is incredibly hard to get out of any catcher, really. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it depends on their expectation of whether either will really increase in cost. We didn't see much of a jump for cost in Manny Pena in his second year of arbitration. No. So, and with a year lost to a torn meniscus, I don't think we're really going to see anything. Yeah. Any substantial increase. Yeah. And same thing with Narvaez. Yeah. You look at the um, MLB trade rumors projections and Pena's kind of projected. So I guess this year they kind of did like ranges. So Pena's projected anywhere between like, Two to two point three million, as Brad uh-huh. said, he, he, you know, he missed most of the year with the torn meniscus. Omar Narvaez, with the terrible year he had, projected towards like two point nine to three million. So, kind of roughly similar numbers too when you look at those two. Right, still raises, but very minuscule raises when all right. things are considered. So, I don't know. I guess. I think they would want to give Narvaez a chance. I think taking away anything from a season like last season is kind of bad, but also we saw players struggle who they had under control that they let go. 
granted, I think Justin Smoke and Brock Holt are in very different categories than Omar Narvaez is in terms of upside. Sure. It, it becomes yeah. hard for me to really like make an assumption out of this. I, I think the non-tender period is going to be much unexpected compared to, I think a lot of fans are going to be shocked at the quality of players who end up getting non-tendered. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We're working with so much less information than we normally are. It's almost a given that we're going to be surprised by what actually happens here. Everybody's got their own internal data that we can't see, and that's unusual for baseball. So according to catcher defense at Baseball Prospectus, and we hadn't actually updated. I hadn't looked at this lately. You know who the number one catcher uh, defensively was in baseball this year? Manny Pena. Omar Narvaez. Yeah, it was Omar Narvaez. Yeah, he was ahead of Yasmani Grandal, who was number two. So the Brewers made the right decision, is what you're saying. So when no. we said that Omar Narvaez was a Yasmani Grandal replacement, we were right. We were just wrong about, just wrong, we right. 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 Right about the offense or defense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is this is wild. So Narvaez is at uh, um, 4.5. Grandal's at 4.0. Uh, if you go down, Jacob Nottingham is at 1.6, which for the amount he played, that's good, yeah, pretty yeah. great. And uh, that puts him at 19. There are 99 players who played catcher this year, and everybody gets a rating. So Nottingham is at 19. Manny Pena is at 24. All right. The Brewers are right. really, good. I mean, really three, good at this. <laughs> three catchers in the top 25 is not shabby, right? All right. So, They're going to yeah. cut Manny Pena. Yeah, I, yeah. So, I mean, Seems we're likely. talking. And... <laughs> they, they know well, and the thing that like for me is they want the platoon. Yeah, mm-hmm. also a good, a good be, point too. Yeah, they do. I think that's going to be the truth this off season as much as it was last off season. I think they want those platoon numbers. Yeah, and I've you know I think out of the four of us, I've kind of talked myself into maybe the Brewers giving up on Narvaez after a year, kind of Johnny Estrada style. <laughs> We keep saying we don't want to make decisions based on a handful of games, right? But I think the warning signs with Narvaez were there when they traded for him, and we just kind of overlooked that, kind of looking at the raw numbers and the breakout that he had in 2019. But he's always kind of been a high launch angle, low exit velocity guy, which leads to a lot of pop-ups, and that's what we kind of saw, right? So I I think there's there's a world where maybe, uh, especially he being the more, I guess, expensive of the two to keep where they would let him go. But kind of what you guys are saying, too, the the platoon is kind of where they probably want to go with this. And, you know, when it comes down to paying Nottingham half a million to paying Pena two million and they're kind of turning into similar players, I think you guys are right in that. I think maybe Manny Pena is the one to go. I have two questions. Sure. How is Rawlings trying the balls? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i hate that this is a question every year it's so it's annoying that we have to actually like make determinations on player value based on like how the seam height of baseballs is going to be <laughs> and how to try that like how dry are the balls i feel like the universe just invented it i mean baseballs were hand stitched for a hundred years and the ball was never that out of whack and all of a sudden we get automated ball manufacturing and things are less structured that's stupid like this is well, are you are you air drying it or are you drying it in the toaster paul uh-huh. it matters yeah <laughs> apparently so there have been wide wide variations in the ball over history there's all this talk about like 1987 the ball was juiced and we saw a massive spike in home runs that doesn't uh, clearly exist yes. in 86 or 88 
but 87 all of a sudden you know that was the rob deer year like you know rob deer what did he hit? did he hit 50 or at least in the high I 40s so. no he never hit rob deer never hit 50 no. home runs too. prince was the first to hit 50 but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, fair, fair point. That, that 87, all the stats are nuts. If you go look at like George Bell hit 49 home runs, that's a big Mac with 49, I think. And that's when all the batting averages were crazy too. Like Tony Gwynn's 372 and Boggs is 363 and Molitor's 350, whatever he hit. So yeah, that, 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 that is a good example of a juice ball year of random variation too. Just seems like it's, it's uh, maybe just cause we can prove it now and quantify it now and know to look for it. But still, it's annoying that it makes such a big difference in player value. Well, and I think it is that we can see it right away. And yeah. somebody like Rob Arthur can go and look at the data and yeah. and point it out in, like, no time. Yep. And I you've got the firsthand account from pitchers, too, you know, saying, yeah, the teams are higher, they're lower, it's tougher to grip this year. You know, like, you've, you've got the, the Verlanders out there, too. So, yeah. I also think there's a realistic chance that they could Alex Claudio, one of these players. Alex Claudio gets non-tendered last year, comes back at a much cheaper contract than he was going to make in arbitration. I yeah. think it's very realistic that they right. could do the same thing with one of these players, it, especially if the feeling is no one's going to move aggressively on players on the free agent market. Yeah. You can non-tender Manny Pena and bring him back yeah. at one and a half million saying like, well, you're older and we're concerned about your meniscus. And he's like, well, no one else is going to pay me. So I guess. I, I think that's a realistic yeah. expectation that they could maybe even try to do. They could non-tender both and see which one they could bring back. Yeah, I think you're going to see, you know, you guys are right. We're going to see a ton of non-tenders and to the point where you could probably get those kind of deals right on multiple guys. So yep. I, there's just going to be so many and, and guys are going to be just looking to take whatever offer they can. I mean, They'll probably do it to stupid Alex Claudio, that stupid guy. <laughs> yeah. bring him back. I mean, They're, if we're talking about pitchers who could get Claudio, like Corey Knievel is an obvious choice, right? Like yes. he's, yeah, I mean, he wasn't great I mean, they're last trying year. to bail he's, on, yeah. and this is taken right out of Log and Hagen's uh, article, but it's also something we mentioned last week. They're trying to get rid of Josh Hader. And Josh Hader is, his over the last three seasons, has been the best relief pitcher in two of them. Mm-hmm. Corey Knable's making the same amount. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. like Corey Knable when he's good, but he's not a seven million dollar reliever. He just isn't. Probably not in this market anyway. Not anymore. Nope. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, no, they'll cut him and he'll get signed to a three-year, twenty-four million dollar deal. Because what the hell is happening anyway? Like Drew Smiley's <laughs> making eleven million dollars. No one's paying Brad Hand anyway. The God, third actual variable. I know I said I had two questions, but there's a third question. What stupid goddamn rule is Rob Manford going to make up at some point in December <laughs> that he's going to put out there and say like, uh, actually, the mound is 10 inches further back this season and ruin baseball because he just hates it so goddamn much. He's going to do something stupid. He just can't resist himself. I mean, so, we still don't know if the DH is going to be a thing, and like <laughs> the Brewers are going to have to make a decision on Dan Vogelbach for that reason. So, yeah, he usually telegraphs these things well ahead of time, though. Like that yeah. that three pitcher thing or three uh, three batter pitcher rule didn't come from nowhere. It was something that had been in the works for a long time, and he had been threatening it, threatening it, threatening it. I don't know that sure. they have anything that's quite like to the front of their list like that right now. Yeah, 
I think it's probably, you know, it's the DH thing, which they're trying to get the union to give them something for, even though they want it too, which is, yeah, we've talked about that being asinine. He has uh, been talking about moving the ball, her mound back, though, for some time. So that could be the random ass thing he throws out there where he's like, I'm going to take this and make it a reality. Something like that, though, they would test out in one of the lower leagues first. Yeah, they would go to the Atlantic League. Could y'all let me just hate on Rob Manfred? Can you just, like, why are we defending this man? Just let me hate on him. We all know it's probably not going to happen. There will be some stupid rule change, but just let me hate on this jerk who hates baseball. They should make a reality show about the Atlantic League where they drastically change the rule of baseball every week and put it on TV. Like, uh, just like it's further to second base now. This is how baseball is today. But we, can call, we can call it the real dumb rules of Rob Manfred. Something like that, yeah. There we go. Uh, All right. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Paul. So, well, it's not ready for prime time yet, but the one to keep your eye on, I think, for um, the near future is the is robot umps because um, it is an opportunity to save money. They have no love lost for the umpires at all. Their fights with the umpires union have been, if anything, more knockdown drag out than with the players union. And, uh, you know, that's something that I think is inevitable. It's just a matter of when they decide to actually push for it. I and just can't wait until Joe West because they'll still have a body behind home plate. They will. I can't wait until Joe West ejects the robot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, that, and that's something that they've been testing too, right? Like in the Arizona Fall League or whatever. So obviously it's something they want to happen. So. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. It is. It was run out in the Atlantic League and then Arizona Fall League. And yep, all the places that they're testing stuff out. Yeah, I can't wait to see players like argue with robots. That's going to be fun. Uh, all right. Shifting to Twitter questions now. We also put the call up for questions on Twitter. So we've got one from Ross Tellner. He's talking. Uh, he Well, he says, I know talking business is not the best, but how in the <laughs> heck are we going to watch the Brewer games this year if it's on Fox Sports Wisconsin? Uh, basically down to one service now, right? Yeah. So, so it, it's so, not well, down to one Brad, service. It, but, I just dealt with this because yeah. I was a Hulu TV <laughs> subscriber who was yeah. like, okay, I'll do it because at the time it was 40 bucks. And I got FS Wisconsin. I was like, hey, great. Now it's 70 and it doesn't have FS Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give any business plugs here, but I went back to a cable provider and it was 30 bucks a month with yep. my internet. Like cable is actually now the reasonable choice. It's <laughs> it still is. a streaming it, option. No, it, five it years offers- ago, this was not the case. It is now the case. The cable is actually the way to go. It, it, I know that's annoying. I know that there's a segment of the population like me who doesn't like cable and likes to feel cool that they stream everything. Don't give up. Cable's better. It just is. It's way better that they're the. It's all, and this was inevitable. I mean, um, streaming was new. It was, uh, you know, a burgeoning thing that people were trying to get people to subscribe to. Netflix drove a lot of that, but eventually, um, you know, it's not like there's any magic to it in terms of pricing or revenue. And eventually, they were going to end up being equalish, and that is what has happened over time. So. But That's now a, cable is cheaper. It is cheaper. And, and they're still streaming because yep. I it did not get a box. No one walked into my house and plugged in the thing. I just downloaded the Spectrum app and yeah. I log in that way. And I also pay 15 bucks now. I was paying 15 bucks for HBO Max, but I pay 15 bucks for the next five years to get all the premium channels. There you go. So, yeah, go back to cable. Cable is the way to go. <laughs> it's sad, but true. Yeah, it man, I can't pay for, for Netflix or Disney plus or whatever. And that's why I stole Brad's uh, HBO max password. So thank you very much, <laughs> which I need, uh, which I need to give you a new one now. Uh, okay. That's, it's all good. It's all so good. Uh, you're going to have to reset up your profile, get your list remade. It's a, uh, a new, but uh, it's fine. 
All right. I'm halfway through Veep. It's all good. Uh, all right. One more. Uh, a couple more Twitter questions from Jay Google. Uh, they're both kind of minor league questions. So first of all, Jay is asking, what are your thoughts on how it will affect the Brewers with them teaming up with former Brewer Dave Nielsen, uh, all-time Brewer great. Let's not forget that. Uh, I picked him in the, the stupid Brewers fantasy draft we did. Anyway, uh, Dave Nielsen runs the Brisbane Bandits in the Australian Baseball League. They announced they have a new partnership. So... Yeah, so Ryan, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's really, really positive. The Baseball has become such a year-round thing, especially development-wise, that you kind of want to have places that guys can go when they're ready and when they're good to go so that you don't lose development time. And especially in this time of COVID, where so many guys have missed so much time uh, because of of minor leagues basically being shut down and really the only thing operating are some you know wildcat indie leagues, basically that you want to provide opportunities and this should give them the opportunity to get guys work at a time when it's going to be hard to find potentially other other avenues for them to develop so the brewers are going to be sending down contracted players to australia people that are you know on their their rosters and will be getting some time in the well i guess we call it a winter league but for them it's summer you know, because right, they're, right. they're down there. As the toilets flush backwards like a bunch of psychopaths. <laughs> Not actually true, but yes. <laughs> Listen, if I can't reference the Simpsons episode, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons episode is, of, of course, also incorrect. The Coriolis effect is uh, essentially not true. Toilets flush the way that their jets are facing. <laughs> And uh, that's how that works. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm gonna go. Before you know, I'm gonna go 800 collect call someone in Australia and ask them to ride the bike over to a neighbor's house. <laughs> you do that. Oh boy! <sighs> I see you played knifey spoony before. <laughs> I love that episode. Also, it's just good to have a presence in other countries. It's not yeah. like the Brewers have never gotten talent out of Australia before, and you start making inroads into talent pools in different places by doing things like this. So, exactly. I, I mean, um, it, you know, we have the only Australian duo ever, I still, I, I believe still, with uh, Nelson and Graham Lloyd pitching to each other. <laughs> haven't had haven't had many Aussies since then that I can recall, so... It's Craig like there's four, not, maybe. Yeah, they have a couple of minor leaguers who are in the system right now. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's very far away. It's logistically difficult to work in Australia from here. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, as things get more competitive internationally, it's good to be a little bit creative about where you have presences and tap, you know, untapped resources. Isn't Liam Hendricks uh, Aussie? Oh, that's an Australian name if ever there was. Holy cow. So did you guys – so I saw this article. I think it was The Athletic maybe a few weeks ago. But they were talking about – it was focused on Liam Hendricks and a couple other guys. Uh, The Twins have been, like, super active in uh, Australia for years to the point where I think they had, like, Liam Hendricks and a couple other guys were in rookie ball altogether. You know, first time in the U.S. kind of thing. And they're looking for something to eat. And, you know, you're a poor minor leaguer. And they come across an uh, Outback Steakhouse. (laughs) 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 Let's let's check this out. And they're like, none of this stuff is Australian food. But the onion's delicious. So (laughs) it was was a great read if you could look that up. But, yeah, it's good stuff. So Ale- or Jess Williams and Alex Hall are the two prospects that they recently signed in 2017. 
I think this is a great opportunity. The brewers are great at looking at markets that they don't normally get into. And an easy, the easiest way to do that is to have your players go into the uh, market. So you have a reason to watch them anyway. Yep. Also, yeah. you're looking for opportunities as the Arizona Fall League and those other practice leagues are not going to get your players reps, as Ryan mentioned. Smart. Mm -hmm. Smart. Smart. Um, that's the MRT. Yeah. Yes. And that's, it's that's just a giant idea. wasteland that's spread out from everyone. So COVID probably isn't that big a risk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a decent, decent theory, too. Yeah. Uh, so Jay had one more minor league question, too. Kind of rumors going around that the San Antonio missions are dropping back down to double A. I know Brad has said, you know, at least to me that that's kind of been rumored since the moment they got to triple A almost. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, Jay's question and the concern here for the Brewers, are they going to kind of be stuck in Round Rock or I suppose any other triple uh, A, you know, uh, musical chair situation here? I don't know if we know what the affiliates will look like until that minor league deal is signed. And that's what the San Antonio owner said was, yes, there's a potential that we could go to double A, but we like, we're not confirming or agreeing to anything until we know what this deal looks like. Mm -hmm. So we really have no idea what that's going to look like because we've talked about how one of the important reasons MLB is looking into this is so that the teams can have more control of their affiliates in their region. So until we know what that ends up looking like for sure, it's really hard to say what the future of the AAA organization or AAA side of this organization is going to look like. Well, did you guys see this week like the Yankees dropped out of their long time like affiliation with Trenton and <laughs> all of them? Yeah, no, broke up via Twitter. Via Twitter, yeah, they they really did. Yeah. They broke Dumped up via Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and like there's so much in flux right now with this that I wouldn't worry about getting stuck at this point because there's just so much that's going to happen over the the coming months with this that they're gonna work. I'm sure they're already looking at at options and looking at possibilities to make this work for them as best as possible. So I, I'm assuming the San Antonio thing going back to double A so they can be part of the Texas League. The double A Texas League, right? That's the the play. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was I don't sure know the specifics, but I don't know if there's as much a competitive region her reason or as if if it's as much as that stadium sucks so much no one really wants to be a part of it. Yeah, and really like it's more acceptable. Yeah. yeah, it's more acceptable as a double A facility than it is a triple-A facility. The Brewers did, when they came in, make some improvements just to make it tolerable for their players. Yeah. And travel but, in the PCL from San Antonio's got to be a nightmare too, right? Like, that, mm -hmm. that's some long road trips. Well, yeah, I mean, totally. everything in the PCL is flying. So, yeah. like, they, they fly everywhere. They're not a bus league, so. Yeah. Because it's all over mountains, man. I mean, you're flying. It's all over mountains. But it's still <laughs> just, a long trip kind of my point too yeah. and kind of what we were talking about last week too just even san antonio to milwaukee in this situation where you need a a quick call up is not ideal either so you know although the brewers have had worse all right maybe it's not like stuck in going... fresno yeah 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 i mean Pretty round rock doesn't exactly really yeah yeah <laughs> round rock except for when they were in nashville well, well nashville was the worst stadium in triple a at the time and then they got a new and, one, and then they dumped the Brewers because they're... And Doug Melvin has never been more mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is like peak Canadian anger. Canadian, but yeah. yeah that, right, that's what I'm saying. If you, can, if you can get a Canadian to, like, life vendetta you, it's, <laughs> you have done something wrong. <laughs> yeah, so I, 
a lot still to be worked out with the the minor league deal and and you know who the affiliates are going to be at i mean we know that carolina is going to be a, a brewers affiliate because they bought them and outside of that it's a little bit in flux but, but even they've had such a good working relationship with biloxi for a long time yeah yeah i mean, I mean they, it's a, another situation where they stuck with them through a move and a in a stadium construction and all of that stuff. could they so, become right. a triple a affiliate I mean, where would they play? They wouldn't play in the PCL. I no, mean, they'd probably play in the play? International League. Though the PCL goes all the way to like Memphis, so you know. Yeah, the PCL is messed up, man. It, it's like <laughs> it's, a, it's like there's a not small much P left in the PCL. Yeah, <laughs> the Conference right. USA of AAA baseball. <laughs> <laughs> As you say, it's basically the Big Twelve, where like West Virginia yeah. is now part of the Big Twelve. Like, why? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Speaking I'm, I'm of trying to think of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the layout of AAA, and I mean honestly, with because Nashville is part of the PCL, isn't it? Yeah, mm, they might be. Yeah. At that point, what's the difference in having Biloxi be part of the PCL? <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. All right, so we'll see where that uh, figures to to settle. There, you know, still a lot of questions to be answered. And uh, speaking of questions, uh, as we mentioned at the top, there, Ryan and Brad got to ask some questions to Will Salmon from the Athletic talking about the the Brewers uh, fall instructional league and in all that stuff. So we, as Ryan mentioned, we wanted to play a little clip of that for you here on the main podcast. A reminder, you can get the full podcast when you sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, the $5 a month level will get you that minor league extra and Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods and question of priority here on the podcast. So uh, let's go ahead and play a bit of that Will Salmon interview right now. David Stearns admitted heading into this offseason that the team needs to improve their offense. Flat out. Do you know what the organization is currently looking at in, re- in regards to how they can improve that, where they want to improve? Well, clearly, I think that David Stearns knows that some moves he made last year, they just didn't pan out, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. And I thought it was pretty admirable also, or at least worth acknowledging the fact that he held himself pretty pretty accountable um, in the comments that I think you're alluding to. I think he made some sort of comments right after they clinched, actually, about, hey, you know, th- these moves, some of them did not work, and that's on me. People listening don't need to hear him say that because we all know which ones worked and which ones didn't. But like I said, it, it is worth acknowledging that he did hold himself accountable in that way. Clearly they need upgrades at first base and third base. I mean, that, that's, that's a given. I, I think that they're going to try to improve in those areas and they may have to get creative in order to do so. Because if you look at the list of free agents available for those corner spots, it's not exactly the, the, the ripest year for that sort of situation to be your holes on your roster, particularly at, you know, the starting positions. So I, I don't really, I'm not really in love with many realistic options for them there. And I guess the, the follow, the, the uh, follow-up question to that is what is realistic <laughs> and for, for Brewers fans, they, they may not want to hear it or they're, they're kind of used to hearing it, I guess, but I mean, nobody, all that glamorous, I would assume off the free agent list at least. And then could they trade and, and be a little bit more interesting as far as trading from a surplus Perhaps, sure. And I guess that comes into the question of, um, you know, the Josh Hader or the starting pitching depth. But, you know, it's almost one of those situations sometimes where I go back and forth with, with it in my head and I say, 
okay, if you deal from this area, is that still a strength or how much are you sacrificing there too? Because I still think that they they still could use, say, another starting pitcher on their on their roster or at least on their active roster or their rotation for that matter, depending on what they choose to do with certain players like a Freddie Peralta or whoever else. Yeah, I think beyond, I think that's at the top of the list. There's going to be some decisions made as far as the non-tender deadline, which is coming up on December 2nd, and that could paint us a clearer picture of how they view things. For instance, say like Orlando Arcia is one of those players at shortstop who they have to make a decision on, right? If they were to tender him a, a contract, if he's still around, then it's like, okay, maybe they go with somebody like Luis Urias at third base, and they didn't completely close the door on that, but they also were quick to say, look, we need offense from that position and we need probably better defense from the shortstop position. So the way I interpreted that was, hey, that may mean Luis Urias is their shortstop and they may look elsewhere for third base because clearly what they had last year was not working out. Um, that was just sort of my take on it and we'll see what happens in sort of like, what, two, three weeks from now, I guess, because I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be a, quite the slow, uneventful build for a little while a little while longer but you never know right you never know when things start to explode and or random things happen i mean we saw a couple of i don't want to say weird but deals from other teams weird works there man <laughs> weird yeah yeah so some some strange moves from some other teams where i was like oh wow they paid that much for this guy okay <laughs> so we don't know i mean shoot or uh, leading into our bank. next question no one claimed this guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure right yeah for that price too when it's like afterward you're spending how much on drew smiley yeah drew smiley for 11 million and yet brad hand couldn't get picked up by anybody in baseball when he was on waivers for 10 million and you could have just had him free and clear on waivers and nobody did that what does that tell you about like what the market might be for Josh Hader? Because he's going to be making not ten million, but something in the the seven ish million range, probably. I mean, does that then say that he re really doesn't have a, a huge potential market at this point? Yeah, that's a great question because that's exactly right when you mentioned that. I, I kind of got the sense that I was actually hoping that's where you were going to go because that's where my mind went was. What does that mean for Hader, right? Because that's, I don't want to say they're exactly, they're similar at all, because I feel like I'd rather have Josh Hader on my team, of course, right? But, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. What does that say, like, about even somebody like in Smiley's shoes, where it's like, maybe they see an upside there, to go back to him for a second, and maybe because he's able to log innings, maybe that's sort of like in vogue at the moment of what the Brewers try to do with a couple of their pitchers in that sort of tandem situation where they help you in sort of a, you know, a versatile role. And so I'm not sure maybe the price tag on that sort of value has increased or is going up uh, because he did show some signs last, just this past season of improved stuff. So, I mean, good for him, uh, but to kind of get back on hater, right. It's like, I wrestle with this every time I'm asked with it and I take that sort of sigh or breath every time because I, I feel like my mind changes and my thoughts are conflicting sometimes with how I feel about it because we don't know what's on the other side of those proposals or those deals. We don't know exactly what the return is every single time, you know, Stearns picks up the phone and entertains uh, a question or a feel a feeler out for, for hater because I feel like the Brewers are in a position where they, they need to get something of value in return to help them for 2021. I just feel like that makes sense. I mean, you can make the argument, maybe it doesn't. Maybe they're better off just 
in more of a rebuild rebuild mode. But I just feel like you just locked up Christian Yelich, and I just always go back to that. And I feel like this guy, he's still in his he's in his prime, and you're going to be wasting a couple of years of him if you if you go that route. And we sort of saw that with Ryan Braun. So I don't know. I just I get both sides of it, but I feel like you need to have some sort of 2021 value in return for Hater. And I and I'd make the argument too that. He, he may outweigh whatever the return is right now just because he's still pretty good at what he does. And now you may counter that and say, well, last year was perhaps a sign that he's not going to be at the top of the mountain much more if he still, if for that matter, if he still is. Um, and, and that's valid, I feel like, because of the the rate of closers or the, the longevity of them being at the top of their game doesn't really bode well for for the future. So you may think that they should sell high or they even perhaps missed their highest point of selling him. Maybe that was last year. And it's all, it's all valid and it all comes back to, well, what do they get in return? And so for me, I just feel like they, I'd be more inclined to deal them if I knew I was getting something that helped me in return for 2021. Because I also go back to the idea of, sure, they have Devin Williams. They have a couple of guys I like in their bullpen. But a couple of those guys, too, are, are guys that people bring up that still have a lot of questions surrounding them. You know, I like Drew Rasmussen a lot. I, I like Justin Topa quite a bit, but they haven't pitched in the major leagues all that long, right? They had a couple of hiccups, at least Rasmussen did toward the end of the season. And so they're not sure. They're not exactly what I would call sure things. And not that there are that many of those in the relievers world anyway, but what I'm saying is that you would, you have a strength in your bullpen and your staff right now. Um, that's sort of how the team is built in my estimation and to deal from that makes sense, but you're, you're also make no mistake. You're, you're, you're subtracting from that area and it's no longer going to be as much of a strength, of course. Well, and there's also a wealth of elite relief pitching out there. The only difference really is that haters controllable and right. he's substantially younger than a lot of them, but you're looking at Roberto Osuna. You're looking at you with Liam Hendricks, Brad hand, Ken Giles, who likely won't pitch next season, but has a chance to maybe help in September if he comes back from Tommy John in a recent or in a somewhat normal amount of time. So you're looking at a bunch of guys who Blake Trainin, who had a good season with the Oakland, you know, a bunch of guys who could or no, the Dodgers, right? <laughs> so a bunch of guys who can compete in that top tier reliever role where maybe the necessity won't be there like it has been even last season yeah i completely agree with that too so it just goes back to like so what is his value right and that was a great point you made about about hand too that it comes back to that same sort of situation and for me it's like i think you spelled it out pretty well there where it's like yeah, I don't really see if I'm the other team, what am I giving in return, right? Like, what am I willing to part with? Probably not the top, the tippy top of my farm system, right? I don't know. And, and the other side of that, too, is like how many of these teams, too, are in the boat where they're sort of like in that contention mode and all they're missing is that one bullpen piece. There's a few, I guess, that makes sense or there's a few that would come to mind. One in particular, of course, is the Phillies who, you know, had their whole season ruined because of, you know, a, a trash bullpen. Because of David Phelps inside that. <laughs> Going back to guys in the clubhouse who are, who are really cool uh, to talk to David Phelps is at the top of that list for me. But uh, but anyway, yeah, like the Phillies, like they, they are a team that comes to mind, right, who need bullpen help. But 
I look at them and they're not exactly a great match match for the Brewers as far as a trade goes. Their farm system is, uh, you know, I'm not really all that impressed with it. And then as far as guys in return, I think Stearns, he's been on record more than a couple of times, of course, with saying in trades that he, he likes to go with guys that are controllable assets that, you know, are young. And if he's willing to deal one of his own, he's expecting some something else of similar value in return for, for that piece. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's uh, it's like a dilemma, right, where it's like you have two situations there where I'm not sure what's the what's the better thing. It's hard to even say if, if it will even happen, too. Because he's going to have to get a great price, right? Like, it's going to have to be a great price. I would think, and but at the same time, the other part of the argument is like his value isn't increasing, it's, it's decreasing, right? And, it, and his, while his price is increasing. So I guess that's the other side of it. So, I mean, he's not getting any cheaper. And, you know, his repertoire improved. We could say that. The slider was a pitch. But I'm on the fence with like how much better he got from it. It's hard to tell given the sample size. And I'm watching it for the first time in person every single day. So maybe I'm not the best one to sort of have an opinion on it. I guess I freely admit that. But I just know from watching Hader in years past, watching him in this 2020 a brief, you know, condensed season, it, I think I speak for a lot of people where it wasn't as if it was automatic every time he turned on the television, right? So that was different. Even though he did have that that long stretch at the beginning of the season, it never felt really automatic after that like the the scoreless streak to start the season or the the no hit streak the hits yeah the hitless streak but it was like he wasn't it, it's so weird to say it right because the guy didn't give up a hit so like what are we talking about here right. but uh, you have to have watched it to sort of understand like what we're saying here because he was like i don't want to say he was wild or erratic but he was missing sometimes and he was still good enough to blow it by people when he had to, or he went with a slider, like in that Cubs game, he went with that backdoor slider and he got himself out of it. And that's where it helped him. And that's where it was like, okay, this guy's evolving a little bit here. It's a work in progress, I think, for him to put it all together. And so I, I think it's um, unfair to really make a call one way or the other based on that. But I'm with you. It wasn't as if like you were awestruck by the hitless streak just because in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, he's also like walking dudes where – we're not used to him seeing we're not used to seeing him do that quite as much. Thanks to Will for joining the Minor League Extra podcast. A reminder, if you have something you want us to talk about, we send out a call for questions on our Patreon page every week, too. Uh, we also put that call out on Twitter. You can follow our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. Just reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow each of us individually on Twitter. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. While you're at it, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to us. Uh, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. While you're there, leave us a review to help other people find the podcast as well. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this episode. Stay well. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
All right. Thanks for Will for kind of hanging out with uh, Ryan and Brad there. Uh, reminder, if you have something you want us to talk about, we put a call up for Sorry, Brad. What? Uh, sorry. I just like it was like James saying, like, thanks for hanging out with Ryan and Brad. They don't get anyone around. <laughs> <laughs> they really need more social interaction than us two and Paul and Brad James. have not left the so house lonely. in three years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll redo that. So uh, <laughs> since we're since we're wrapping up, um, I I got a bolt. So yeah, um, you can. Okay. Let's okay. see you bolt. guys later. Bye. Everybody can bail, and now I'm self-conscious yeah. about this. So. No, uh, it it was a <laughs> it was a funny truth more than anything. What <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> Brad has not had human interaction in eight months. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll bail so you don't feel my judging eyes and I got nothing to say <laughs> as the funny cold exit anyway. <laughs> well, Adios, Adios, guys. See ya. Vaya con All Dios. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll tag out with three, two, one.